Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. said to them my house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers evening you know we started talking about uh, anger oh what a couple of weeks ago I think it was and uh, it was very important that we do that study and we've been talking about human anger you know our anger and things like that but I want to talk about that before we could even come close to talking about righteous anger. There is a thing called a righteous anger. Um, <clears throat> you know, in this world in which we live, there's a lot of things that uh, are inappropriate, that are not right, that should anger us. Does anybody know what this weekend represents? 9-11. You know, Susan and uh, I, as well as Judah and Carolyn, were going to a conference in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, our plane took off that morning. Susan and I had been praying. We were reading a book together, and we were praying. And uh, as we, you know, got on the plane, we were praying. And and uh, as time progressed, we were just going through this book, and we were studying it. We were just about in tears. And uh, that was the day it happened. As we went over, you know, New York, uh, uh, over the Twin Towers, one of them was on fire you know as we went over it and before we got to baton rouge all the airplanes were socked down pilot came on and said i'm sorry but all the planes in the united states have been grounded so we got to find our closest airport which happened to be charlotte north carolina and we we were grounded there well all of you know for the most part what took place after that but uh things like that are not something that makes us smile is it Terrorism. Uh, we should have a righteous anger in regards to terrorism and uh, sex trafficking and abuse and pornography and all kinds of other things. There should be a righteous anger that rises up in us in regards to that. So what I want to talk about tonight, let me see if I got my little bag up here. 
uh, I want to talk about righteous anger. Righteous anger. <clears throat> you know, uh, and, and we've already done a, a good bit of study for the last two weeks on anger that we shouldn't have, right? There is a human anger, isn't there? And we all touched it. It's getting a hold of us from time to time. And we don't want to go there, but uh, what we're going to look and see is what God has to say about anger and, and the righteous anger, you know. Scripture actually contains more verses warning us against blowing our cool than there are passages advocating such behavior. But there is a time to have a righteous indignation, a righteous anger. Proverbs, you know, uh, tells us a whole lot about anger is very foolish. And so we don't want to go there. But listen to what it says. We'll hit a couple of highlights here. Proverbs 12, verse 16 says, A fool is quick-tempered, quick to anger. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Has anybody, of you, anybody here tonight been insulted in the last month? Um, if you haven't, I'll, I'll try to insult you some way. <laughs> Just think of it. Don't tell me right now, but think about what your response was. It says here, a fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Doesn't let anger control them. In, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 18, it says, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, the devil wants to do all he can to get you aggravated. Have you ever been tempted along that line? It's just like, I can either cry or I can laugh. If you're, my wife tells me that from time to time. Something I do or say, she says, I can either laugh or cry. I'm going to choose to laugh right now, you know. But we have choices. And it says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do everything that you and I can not to allow anger to gain control over us in regards to other people so we can be at peace. It goes on, verse 19, says, dear friends, never take revenge. Are you ever tempted to get even with somebody? Sure you are says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. There is a righteous anger. And when you and I actually experience righteous anger, it's the anger of Almighty God. It's a holy thing. It's not an evil thing. It's not a sinful thing. And he says here, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. It's got just my microphone here. It's my volume control right there. Uh, it says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. Says who? The Lord. The Lord. So it is not our position to get revenge on someone who has hurt us in any way, our position is to be like Christ. It says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's God's business if he feels that they need to be corrected more. You know, that's, that's his business, and he can handle it. You and I are not equipped to operate with human anger and get revenge on somebody. Because, you know, how many of you have ever sinned? What if someone tried to get revenge on you 
And God goes, they repented, and I forgave them, and I'll take care of them. Don't mess with them. If he was talking about you. So we don't know what God's doing in anybody's life. So he tells us here, verse 19, dear friends, never take, never take, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead of getting revenge, if your enemies are hungry, shoot them in the foot. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Let me see. I, I must have misread that. If your enemies are hungry, you feed them. You feed them the best that you have. You honestly get to see do. If your enemies are hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, you give them a cup of sand. Is that right? You see, that might be our feelings if there's an enemy really there. But he says, if they're thirsty, you give them something to drink up. A cup of cool water. Maybe you got something better than that. Some lemonade or something. He says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you. Because it's always trying to conquer us. And if we get angry, the, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Don't let evil conquer you. It, it tries to every day. Evil tries to conquer us, but he says, but conquer evil by doing good. Do what you can. You can overcome evil by doing good. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, we've read this at least the last two weeks. It says, be angry and do not sin. Now I'm reading this out of the New King James. It says, be angry. But this is talking about a righteous indignation, a righteous divine kind of an anger that you can have be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger if the sun goes down your anger you sin he said be angry do not let this the uh, sun go down on your anger nor give place to the devil don't give that mighty foothold to the devil you know if i was reading uh, something uh, and there was a third grade uh, sunday school teacher and she had built her, her Sunday school lesson around the fifth commandment. And it's talking about here about honor your father and your mother. You know, it's the first commandment that has a promise, you know, uh, that your, your, your life will be long upon the earth and so forth and so on. And so she asked, she said, well, we've been talking about our mommies. We've been talking about our daddies. Does anyone know a commandment about our brothers and sisters? Hmm. Little girl, boom, shot her hand up instantly. She says, yes, I know that passage. Thou shalt not kill. <laughs> it's, it's talking about brothers and sisters. Even kids figure that out, that you shouldn't do that, you know. And it's, you know, hating and, and all is the same as murder, according to the Bible. He tells us to be angry, but do not sin. Be angry and do not kill your brother and sister. If they've ticked you off is, is the way this little girl translated it. In the book of James 1, verse 19, it says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. And if we'll listen, it will do us good. It says, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And I can tell you for sure, Jesus was very slow. And God, the Father, is very slow to get angry. 
with us. Hasn't he been pretty patient with us? He really has. Then it goes on to say in verse 20, it says, human anger, this is what we've been studying the last two weeks, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So if you get angry, you're beating the walls, you're saying things that you know are inappropriate, that will never, ever bring about any good thing in your husband, your wife, your children, your boss, your fellow workers. When you get, give in to just secular, worldly anger, it will never produce anything good. Never. Not one time. That's what he tells us. So he says, you're a fool if you give in and let anger, that kind of anger control you. He says, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, but there is a righteous anger that produces great results. This world has been changed by righteous anger, righteous indignation, but, but we have to learn, discern the difference between the two. In the book of uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So if, if you're following your sinful nature, you're being tempted by your sinful nature, and it lists it. It p- puts it right out here so we can see it. It says the results are very clear. And then it begins to list them. Sexual immorality. That's when you follow your sinful nature. Sexual immorality. Now, now listen to these because it, it's going to say something pretty powerful by the time we get to the end of this verse. It says sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of, what's that? And this is talking about human anger. We're talking tonight about righteous anger, godly anger. But it says here, you know, these desires you know, come from your sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy. What's that one again say? Outburst of anger. Outburst of anger comes from the sinful nature. And then it goes on to say selfish ambition, not just any ambition, but selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And let me tell you, what does I say? Again, it's not the first time he's, he's said this, as I have before, and it includes outbursts of anger, that anyone living that sort of a life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You don't pass go. You don't collect your $200. You don't get to slide down the streets to go in your sock feet. If you are controlled by your sinful nature, it is controlled you and it's just ripped you out you know of that awesome wonderful presence of peace and the love and, and, and all of God you, you, you are no longer really experiencing that you're, you're, you're full of lust and, and anger and rage and all the things that come here with it sorcery, idolatry, hustle, all those things that sinful nature he says you'll not inherit the kingdom of God see anger and all these things these things are a choice and, and, and we've already talked about this, so you'll never convince me otherwise. Well, I just can't help it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can help it. Anger is a choice. Guess whose choice it is? Yours. 
If we can control your anger, you think we would? If you can control somebody's anger, would you? <clears throat> Absolutely. Luke chapter 19, verse 41 says, When the city came into view, Jesus wept over it. Now, Jesus was sad, and Jesus was angry all at the same time here. Okay? It says, when the city came into view, he wept over it. There was stuff going on in this city that was breaking his heart. He wept as he prayed over the city. He wept over it. If you had only recognized this day, you know, he's, he's talking out there to the, to the city. If you'd only recognized this day and everything that was good for you, but now it's too late. In the days ahead, your enemies are going to bring up their heavy artillery and surround you, pressing in from every side. They'll smash you and your babies on the pavement. Not one stone will be left intact. All this because you didn't recognize and welcome God's personal visit. Now, have you recognized God when he's visited your life? It's just like, oh, wow. You mean God? He visits us? Absolutely. Anyhow, when he visited there, they just totally rejected him. Verse 45 says, going into the temple, this is Jesus going into the temple, he began to throw out everyone who had set up shop in the temple. We saw the video in the intro a while ago. Selling everything and anything they were just trying to make a buck in the temple. He said, it is written in scripture, my house is a house of prayer. And you have turned it into a religious bazaar. From then on, he taught each day in the temple. The high priest religion scholars and the leaders of the people were trying their best to find a way to get rid of him, but they couldn't. But with the people hanging on every word that he spoke, they couldn't come up with anything. Now, let me look at that same account, three verses in the book of Matthew. It's the ones we saw acted out in the intro. But let me read it again. It says in Matthew 21, 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple and begin to drive out all the people, what's it say? <coughs> Buying and selling. Not just the guys who were selling, but also the guys who were buying. He says, he began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. See, they, were, they had to exchange their money for a particular coinage to offer their offering. Can you imagine coming in to a church somewhere and you're going to try to give an offering? Let's say you're going to give $100, okay? And they make you exchange. It costs you 10 bucks to change your $100 into the proper, you know, uh, bill that the church would accept. So when you give $100, well, you lost 10 bucks out of that. There were money changers right there in the temple. And, and they were... Selling, you know, lambs and doves for sacrifice. And, and these, these guys, you, what they were doing was like, you know what? You've got to give a lamb to God. And these are the best and the most purest lambs here. Oh, they were very expensive. You can get a lamb somewhere else, a lot cheaper. But they were putting a guilt trip. Oh, you're not going to cough up enough money for a lamb? What kind of a, you know, something bad's going to probably happen to you and your family. 
This is the kind of stuff that was going on in the, in the temple. So it says here, Matthew 21 says, And Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. It was just a big scam. And he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And once he cast them out, guess what happened? Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now see, there was hardly a place for him to minister to them because all of the religious bizarre stuff that was going on. You know, it was more like a carnival and a, a get-rich-quick scheme for some. Anyhow, picking up in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Jesus went into the synagogue again, and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And, and since it was a Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Now, look what's, what, what's on their mind. Now, they know that Jesus could heal and work miracles. And you'd be thinking, well, I sure hope he... He ministers to all the people who are here today. I hope he heals them all and he forgives them all. That's what you would think. But it says in verse 2, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies were watching him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. They don't sound like the kind of people you would want to be your spiritual advisors, would you? Jesus said to the man, Come and stand in front of everyone. So come on up and stand in front of everybody. Then he returned to his critics and he, asked, he turned to his critics and he asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? Jesus is asking all the religious folks, but they wouldn't answer. You know, they. They didn't care what happened to the people. They were just trying to trap him some way. Verse 5, he looked around at them, how? Jesus looked at them angrily. See, there is a righteous anger, a righteous indignation. We've talked for two weeks about what the Bible says about human anger so we don't get them confused. And he says, he looked around at them angrily, and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts that they didn't care about the man whose hand was deformed. They didn't care about the needs of people being met. Uh, they were concerned. They were very legalistic, just to, you know, the law. And then Jesus, angry and saddened, he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand. He obeyed what Jesus told him to do, and it was restored. Now you can, be a man, you, you can be absolutely sure the religious leaders were angry now. They was really hopping mad because Jesus was working on the Sabbath because he healed a man's hand. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this term, a holy discontent. Uh, Bill Hybels wrote a book called Holy Discontent. And... Uh, Bill Hybels was talking about, he said that, you know, uh, there were things in, in his life that would bother him. And if there are certain things that bother you, you know, like 
people in other countries, poor, poverty, and things like that. He just tried to get it out of his mind. Just as best he could, just get it out of his mind. But as time progressed, he learned that what God wants us to do when things bother you, you know, like uh, to me when I was a young preacher, the fact that people in New England didn't have near the opportunity to hear the gospel as people in the South did. And Susan and I responded, left our, our families and everything, and came up here, you know, with $200 in our pocket, you know, and, and a car that I bought for $250. But see, as time progressed, and you've been involved with it, we've had a holy discontent for people in Ethiopia, children who are living in a garbage dump, you know, Many don't have parents. We had a holy discontent. We weren't content to know that. So the thing that you do when you got a holy, a holy discontent is you feed it. You research it. You study it. You find out all you can find out about those kinds of things. We found out here in Southington that a lot of kids didn't have the Bible, didn't know the Bible. And we started a vacation Bible school. We call it Vacation Bible Adventure now. It's been about 20 years ago. And we fed that thing and fed that. Many of you have been a part of that, right? A holy discontent. I'm not content with the, the things that's going on and, and the injustice that's going on and the, the abuse that's going on. And I'm not content. And you feed that. And uh, Bill Heibel says it's kind of like Papa. I think Papa had some kind of a statement that he would say, I just can't stand it. I can't stand it no more. So Papa eats his can of spinach and he does something, you know. And we need to be a people who if we've got a, you know, a godly anger, a righteous anger, we need to be a people who take action, not in sin. Because see, if, if, if you've got a holy discontent, you're not supposed to take a secular mentality about it. You know what I'm saying? You've got to say, well, what would Jesus do in this particular situation, you know? There are two Greek words in the New Testament that are translated as anger. Now, as we listen to this, tell me, you know, or you think about which one really motivates you the most or you want to motivate you. These two Greek words that are translated anger. The first one, it means passion and energy. There's an anger that just means it gives you passion and energy. The other one means agitated and boiling. Think about the anger that motivates you. Is it, I'm aggravated and I'm boiling and I'm hopping mad and somebody ought to do something and then you get into the flesh? Human anger does not work the righteousness of God. It does not. But if you've got a righteous indignation, if you've got a holy discontent, and God will inspire you with this passion and energy to make a difference in the world in which you live. Bible anger is God-given. God-given passion, God-given energy, you know, that is intended to help us solve problems in this world in which we live, you know. Now, David kind of gives us a little, a little peek into this righteous indignation. 
Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. He gives us a sneak into a couple things. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, So the Lord sent Nathan. Remember who Nathan was? Prophet. He went to deliver a message to David, this prophet. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. Tell him, everybody likes a good story. So Nathan says there was two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb and, and he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It was more of a pet. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. The man cuddled the lamb in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of the rich man killing an animal from his own flocks or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest to eat. Verse 5 says, David was what? Furious. There was a righteous anger there. That's injustice. That is wrong. No matter how you slice it or to dice it, we got to do something about that. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one that he stole for having no pity. Verse 7, and then Nathan said to David, you are that man. He just, he was all bent out of shape. He was all angry, a righteous anger, because he heard a story. And isn't it amazing that we can be so judgmental and so critical when you read or hear something that somebody else does when you do the same thing? And that's what happened with David. He had a, a woman's husband killed because he committed adultery. Then he married her, and there's all kinds of things. And he already had, well, let me just read you the verse. Just listen to what God's heart was here. This is, this is absolutely amazing. It says, then David, uh, Nathan said, the prophet said to David, you are that man. And the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel, and I saved you from the power of Saul. And I gave you your master's house. So I gave you that. And his wives. That was where the problem started. Just get an S at the end of that word, you know. And the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if you had not, and if that had not been enough, I would have given you, what did he say? Much, much more. God says, I would have, given you much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed for you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites and stolen his wife. But you see, David, he actually had a righteous anger rose up within him, a righteous indignation. It was a holy Thing, as he's hearing this story, how could anybody do that? And then Nathan said, you demand. 
You did this. So, so let us not be so quick when we hear something somebody did. Let's just let's evaluate. Let's be slow. You know, listen very carefully and then be slow to speak and slow to get angry because you may be condemning somebody and you might hear the Almighty God say, that person's you. It's easy to see wrong when it's in somebody else's life, isn't it? It's like, just jumps right out at you. But it's hard to see it when we're doing wrong ourselves sometimes, isn't it? Oh, no, I never did that until someone points it out to you, you know? Believers can channel their anger into constructive action. We can. We have, here at Faith Living Church, we have channeled our, our energy. We, we really have, you know? The, the, the energy and the passion that comes from an anger of people not knowing the gospel, we've channeled that into constructive action. Many times together we have, you know. Our, but this, is, this is something that's important to grasp. Our outrage, our energy and our passion, our outrage must result in bringing others into a loving, you know, uh, restored relationship with Almighty God. If we're outraged in this, this uh, you know, uh, holy discontent, this righteous anger, it must bring about restoration in a loving relationship with God. See, that's righteous indignation. If, if you just go, well, I'm just mad and I'm going to fuss and cuss at people and there's no restoration or nobody comes to Christ, you're just blowing steam off, you know, to be honest with you. Divine anger is always righteous anger directed, always righteous anger is directed against sinfulness, sinful behavior and human injustices, you know. And, and with that righteous anger, there's always mercy that accompanies it. Even with David. David said, that man ought to die. And Nathan says, you are that man. But God says, no, I forgive you. Don't do that no more. You know, God showed him mercy. As followers of Christ, it is totally appropriate to get upset over sin. Now, I'm not saying you should act sinful, you know, but it's totally appropriate to get upset. We saw Jesus, he, he got upset. There was anger, but he didn't sin. It wasn't selfish. It was, you know, brought restoration. God's anger has proper motivation. His anger is for the right reasons. It's yours. You know, Jesus' anger doesn't arise from petty arguments or, you know, personal slights against him, you know. The anger that Jesus expressed in the Bible, it never was selfish. Not one time was it selfish. Never. Selfishness was never involved. God's anger, anger has the proper focus. His anger targets sinful behavior and true injustice. When you see injustice, it's just like, somebody ought to do something about that. wonder why you see it and other people don't. Somebody ought to do something about that. Somebody ought to do something about that. And then God kind of whispers, you're somebody. You know, 
Sometimes that's the reason you see things and things break your heart. The same kind of things that breaks God's heart. And God has enabled you to have this passion to see things and have the energy to do something, you know. His anger has nothing to do with hatred. His anger has nothing to do with ill will. His anger stems from love. He, you know, Jesus loved the religious leaders. He really did. Hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them all. They don't know what they're doing, you know. He was concerned about their spiritual condition. Jesus, not one time was ever out of control with anger. Never, not one time did he sin because of anger. Even when he was cleaning the, cleansing the temple, and you know how I know it wasn't some rash, you know, moment? Because the Bible, and because and, and it, it records that thing about him cleaning the temple, in, in all four Gospels, it says he went in, he took some small cords, and he braided a whip. So now how long did it take him to braid that whip? And he's looking at what's going on there. He's thinking about it. You know, they tell you to count to ten. <laughs> I mean, he had a lot of time. He was thinking, said, this is my father's house. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. People come and get their needs met. They get closer to God. But people are despising the temple now. They don't want to come here because they're getting ripped off. So he had a passion for these people. As soon as he drove all the money changers out, what did he do? He started healing people. Started ministering life to people. He was never out of control. Even when he was clean, cleaning the temple, he was slow to anger. Enough time to make a whip. And it never says that he hit anybody with a whip. It never said he did. You know? His anger had the proper duration. Does your anger have the proper duration? How long should your anger go? Until the sun goes down, right? So you think about that, you know? If you don't deal with anger pretty quick, it'll turn into bitterness. It'll turn into a grudge. It'll turn into resentment. It'll poison you, you know? Jesus dealt with every situation before the sun went down, you know? His anger resulted from, uh, and when he was inspired with his energy and his passion, what he did was, and you could tell it was godly. It was godly action. Cleaning all the guys, ripping people off, cleaning them out of the temple so we can have the needy come in now. That was godly action we're talking about, you know. His response was always to accomplish the Father's will. What do you want me to do, Father? What do you want me to do, you know? So... When you are angered and offended, you know, we've studied this topic of offense before, but when you've been angered and offended by someone, you know, you know what you got to do? Well, yeah, well, praying is one thing. I reckon you could pray that her house burns down or something too. <laughs> but if you've been angered by somebody and you've really been hurt and offended by them, you've got to forgive them. Jesus had been beaten, unrecognizable, then nailed to a cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're, they're doing. If you don't forgive somebody who's hurt you and you maintain anger, you will relive it over and over again, just like somebody playing the, the button on a tape player. And you will be in bondage every day of your life until you forgive now, some people say, well, I can't forgive. Well, then anticipate bondage for the rest of your life. 
and the problems that God never intended you to have, when you choose not to forgive, you have set a course for a miserable course for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, because God says, I'll forgive you. He teaches us, Father, forgive me for my sins the same way I forgive those who have sinned against me. Right? That's what we're talking about here, you know. And if we don't forgive other people and we get this anger that it don't get dealt with before the sun goes down and this anger it just poisons our system, you know, it puts us in prison. We become a slave, you know. Jancy Walzer, she wrote in Rear's Digest, she says, I once worked in a grocery store and I often assisted elderly people when they came in. And one woman shopped nearly every day. Every day she went to the grocery store. And she would just ask for just a few items each time. And after a month, she said to me, I suppose you wonder why I'm here so often. She says, I live with my nephew, and I can't stand him. And I'm not going to die and leave him with a refrigerator full of food. <laughs> that woman was in prison. She was bitter. She was poisoned. And every few days she had to get to the grocery store. I'm not going to die and leave food in my refrigerator for him. She would have done better to forgive him, wouldn't she have? And got free and let God work in her and through her. Well, the book of Acts says, and let me see here. The book of Acts says, and herein do I exercise. Exercise is talking about intense training. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience that's void of offense. Have you ever been offended? Excuse me? Yeah, okay. And, and, and Paul says, herein do I exercise. I do this. It's just like intense training. I'm doing this. I exercise myself to have always a conscience, you know, a conscience that's void, that's empty of offense toward God and toward men. Now, see, we're tempted to be offended. We're tempted to be angry at God. You ever been angry at God? I know people who've been real angry. It's like, God, why did you let that happen to me? They're offended, man. They're angry. And the sun goes down and comes up day after day after day. And they're angry. And they're getting angry all the time. But Paul said, and he had all kinds of crazy things going on in his life. He says, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Sometimes people are tempted to be angry at a person. I'm angry at them because what they did to me, what they said to me, what they did to somebody I love. I, 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 I'm, I'm offended. I'm angry at them. And Paul says you can be angry at God and offended at God, and you can be angry at people and offended at people. Either or. And, and both of those can destroy you. That's what he's talking about. Let me see if I can do this. <clears throat> Mm 
Mmm. Peanut butter. I just whipped this together right before I came to church, so it might need a little tweaking. I'm not sure. Okay. Hold on here. Can I borrow you for a minute? I need three hands, and I only got two. I just want you to lift, lift this up just like that. Got it? These are just chopsticks, you know? Hold on. Okay. Hold on. All right. You know what? I'm going to probably have to put my glasses on here. In a moment. Okay, lift it up higher. Keep the, okay. Just put it down against it. Just a little bit right there. Okay. Okay, turn, okay go ahead and turn loose. Got it? Turn loose. Ah! You know what? I got this table. It's very slippery on the table. Anyhow, all right. You know, oh, you know what? Didn't have my little groove over there. That's yeah. why. Can you see? I, can, I, got you. I can't see. You want to hold the brick? Yeah, okay. All right. Let's pull it against it. Okay. Put Just put the brick on there. Got a brick on there? Okay, go ahead and turn loose of it. Okay. Anyhow, okay, move your hand. I want to let everybody see it. I'm going to have to tweak this. But you cut grooves. It's called a figure four trap. I should have taken an extra five minutes and made my little things. And that's what happens. There's peanut butter here. Let's put it back together one more time. Okay. Got it? See, all these little grooves go together. Yeah, I'll, I'll have it ready by tomorrow. And then I'm going to hold it together. Just put the brick on there again. It don't matter. Just, just let it go. I'm going to hold it. Just turn it loose. So what happens, it goes together like this. A mouse comes in there to get the peanut butter. Okay, yeah, you just move your hand a second. And it does that. Now, when Susan and I was in Bible school, and believe it or not, we were on a very fixed budget, and I couldn't afford a mousetrap. But I had a whole bunch of bricks. And, hey, thank you, brother. And uh, I'll, I'll work on this. But it just needs a little bit of... Uh, working on those little cuts that I put in there. And uh, I put these in our cabinets. We lived in a farmhouse. In the middle of the night, you'd hear something go. There was no mistaking what had happened. You know? And let me tell you, this is better once you get these little grooves cut right. This is better. No mouse escapes from this trap. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're a mouse, you better stay away from that peanut butter. Because once I get this thing fine-tuned, Susan asked me that right before church. She said, are you making that for here? Because she recognized what it was because I did this when we just, we'd just been married a few months. And I, you know, was making these uh, to catch mice with. And it, it flattens them right out also. 
Well, see, the thing up is, a mouse would never get caught by it if you didn't have peanut butter on it. He ain't interested in it. Now, that word that we just read a few moments ago in the book of Acts, it says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense. Offense. The word offense is scandalon, which means the trigger stick. It says, Paul says, I exercise my conscience to be empty of offense toward God and man. If, if there's a trigger stick there and, 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 and you're tempted to go anger, you know what's going to happen? If it's just like, you go anger, it's just like, be anticipating this. Human anger is going to hurt you. I guarantee you that. Physically, financially, relationally. If you are gifted in to physical anger, human anger, you know, it's anger is, is like peanut butter on a trigger stick. And, and Paul says, herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience that's void, that's empty of offense. The word offense means the trigger stick. It's the, it's the pad on the regular mousetrap where you put cheese or peanut butter. It's the trigger device. When you get angry and when you're offended, it traps you. You well, I'm mad at them. How come I'm the one who's miserable? You took the bait. You gave in to just human anger. And, and it costs you dollars and cents. It costs you health. It costs you relationships. It costs you your peace of mind. And Paul says, well, I exercise myself. I do it for me. I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. That, that, that means, Father, please forgive me for all the things I've done. And Lord, I forgive that jerk. I mean, I forgive that brother who hurt me. It takes a while to get this down in your heart, but I forgive him and I forgive her and I forgive them, those people who hurt me, and, and ask you to forgive them too, Lord. Because I've done things and you've forgiven me. And I'm not mad at you any, anymore. I know I, I just reap what I sowed. And, and Lord, I want to make things right now. So I exercise my conscience to be void of offense toward you. Thank you for being there. I know you're going to work it all together for good. And Lord, I release those people in the name of Jesus. I set them free. Let me tell you what happens. When you set somebody free and you say, I forgive them, the weight is poured off of you. The, the trigger stick with the peanut butter is taken out of your mouth. When you say, I forgive them, I'm no longer going to be angry at them. The sun will never go down on, on me again being angry. Because, see, God don't want you you're trapped. He really doesn't. Near the end of Irvin Stone's powerful novel, Love is Eternal, about Mary Todd and Abraham Lincoln, those husband and wife, there's a moving conversation between Mrs. Lincoln and the president's bodyguard, Parker, who had been summoned to Mrs. Lincoln's room. And she says, why were you not at the door to keep the assassin out, she demanded. Why were you not at the door? And with his head bowed, Parker replied, I have bitterly repented of it. 
but I did not believe that anyone would try to kill so good of a man in such a public place. And belief made me careless. And I was attracted to the play. And I did not see the assassin enter the box. You should have seen him, she said. You had no business to be careless. With this, Mrs. Lincoln fell back on her pillow and covered her face with her hands. And from deep emotion, she says, go now. It's not you I can't forgive. It's the assassin. Tad, that was her son, who had spent that miserable night beneath his father's desk in the executive office. He drawled, if Paul had lived, he would have forgiven the man who shot him. Paul forgave everybody. So said Abraham Lincoln's son. He said, Paul forgave everybody. He'd forgive the man, Ma. Now see, when you don't forgive, you'll be angry. You'll be bitter. You'll be full of resentment. That's not righteous anger. We've got to forgive people. We really do. If it's the behavior, if it's, if it's injustice, even it, it inspires us to pray for these you know, people who are caught up in human trafficking, to pray for the women in our nation who are boarding babies left and right. That's an injustice. A little baby doesn't have the right, can't make it to, to the outside. If he could, we'll protect it. We can take him. And it should inspire us with energy and with passion to pray and to reach out to those young ladies and let them know we'll help you any way we can. You can do this. Well, we'll help you get it adopted if you want to. But don't terminate. And then you support and you help the ones who have done abortions and all those things. You let them know the forgiveness and the mercy of God. You do it with unbelievable energy and passion. Righteous anger. To do something, educate people about the sex trafficking and about all the injustices that's going on in our nation. And our nation's kind of in a downward spiral. I don't know if you notice that or not. It's not the, it's not the nation I grew up in. If you're younger, you, you don't probably recognize it as much, but I do. Anyhow, righteous anger prompts us to pray and find out, God, what you want me to do. Just like we did together. We're, we're, we've sponsored over 300 kids that eat every day in Ethiopia who they've, they've gotten saved. They're getting an education. One day they'll be a grown up, a mom and a daddy who will teach Jesus to their children because of a righteous anger. We heard about them and somebody ought to do something. And God kind of pointed at us and said, okay, you somebody, y'all can do this, you know. Anyhow, see, our time is just about up for much, isn't it? Well, you know, I got lots more to say. But let's just listen to this song. And maybe it'll inspire you. Let's listen to this together and then we'll pray.
woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now. I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever gonna turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. Yeah. I created you. <laughs> Now listen. If not us, then
It's time for us to do something and see a righteous anger, a holy discontent causes us to recognize that I'm somebody and I have been put here to do something. I can make a difference with my little old life and the little things I do in a given day. And you can make a difference. We can do something. And sometimes we think, well, that's just some little old, little old something. Them little old somethings turn into big old somethings. So when you feel God prompting you to do something, instead of just talking about things and being angry about things, first thing we can do is what? We can pray. We can ask God for wisdom. Uh, let me ask you all a question. Are you all happy with the way everything is in our world right now? No. And I'm not either. Let me see. Where's my, my uh, oh, here it is. Well, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. This is your weekly challenge. It's here somewhere. It says, uh, yes. If you choose to do this, you check it off and you drop it in the tithe box. If you choose to do it. If you don't want to, that's, that's your business. But it says, starting today, I will diligently pray for a God-honoring candidate in this coming presidential election. Okay, hang on, hang on, okay? I believe that you guys got a relationship with God. And what happens is the way our nation is, is made right now, I can't tell you who to vote for. We risk some pretty serious injunctions against us. But I can tell you this, pray for a God-honoring candidate. Does that know, you hear what I'm saying? Do you want our nation to be great? Do you want our, our nation to be different than it ever has been in the last few years of just spiraling down the tubes? Do you think you pray in every day diligently for this upcoming election in November? Do you think it'll make a difference? Yeah. And vote. So, well, that don't really make. You know what? You do what you can do. If everybody does a little bit that they can do, guess what happens? Well, that song was talking about do something. And I, I believe we ought to pray. I believe we ought to sponsor and support kids in Ethiopia. I believe we ought to rescue girls caught up in sex trafficking in our own communities and our nation. And, and, and maybe we can't do everything, but the little bit that we can do, we can pray, and we can do the little bit that we can do. And when it comes to our nation, we can pray for wisdom, and, and we can vote. And it ain't complicated, folks. When it first started off, there was a whole lot of people you could have chose. And a lot of them were awesome believers. Right now, we only got two to choose from. And all I say is make the most God-honoring decision you can. And you pray for them. And then you vote. And, and, and there was years when I, I didn't vote personally. For years, way, 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 way back. And I recognized, you know what? One day I can look back and say, well, I had a part of that. I prayed and I did my part. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so you, you may be angry at me right now for telling you to vote and to pray. We'll give you the last two messages I preached about anger, and it'll help you deal with your anger issues. <laughs> but I'm sincere when I say that. If you agree with this thing, say, I'm going to begin to pray every day for our government, for our president, 
for the candidates that are there, and I'm going to make the, the wisest choice that I can for a God-honoring president that will, you know, help to advance God's kingdom here for a few more years on this old earth, you know. So I challenge you, and I, I challenge you. God's given you energy. He, he's given you passion. And if you don't like the way things are, you got a holy discontent, well then do something. Do your part. Pray every day. Cast your vote when the opportunity arises. Do your part. We all do our little part. It's amazing what can take place. Anyhow, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you that we can do something. You told us not to be a hearer of your word, but to be a doer of it. So, Father, we're open to, to begin to discern the difference between human anger and righteous anger, divine anger. And we want to learn what you would do in every situation every day and help us to act like you. And, and, and may our anger be genuine energy and passion to make an awesome difference in this world in which we live by what we can do. So show us what it is, Lord. Bless the men and women in this congregation and those that are watching out there online, wherever they may be, bless them and give them wisdom. Help them to do something to make this world that we live in a better place, a place where you are honored, almighty God. That's what we're asking for. As our heads are bowed, I'd ask you to just join me and reaffirm your faith and our awesome Savior. And if you've never welcomed Jesus into your life, you can do it right now with us. And invite him to come into your life and to forgive you and to remove the anger. And if you've been trapped and you've been caught up in bitterness and resentments and, and grudges and all that, he'll set you free right now. So I want you to join me as we pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And I believe the best is yet to come. I want to be free from everything that imprisons me. I want to be free to do what you want me to do. I believe that Jesus died in my place. And I believe that he rose from the dead. And I believe he's knocking at the door of my life. And I open that door. And I welcome Jesus into my life as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my King. Father, help me to do something. With all the injustices that are going on around about me, help me to become positive. Help me to become passionate. And give me the energy and the resources I need to do something, to do what Jesus would do and make a difference in this world in which I live. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, if you prayed with me just now and you welcome Christ into your life, at the uh, connections desk at the back table back there, uh, we've got a little gift bag for you. It's got a, a Bible, it's free. A bunch of little goodies in there that I believe will be a great inspiration to you. So stop by and pick that up, it's free. If you're a guest, we have other, uh, another gift, a cool gift that we'd like to give you just for coming tonight, and we hope you come back. And uh, right now, as we dismiss, there'll be some folks around the altar over here who would love to pray with you. And I'm telling you, the God that we serve, he still answers prayer. 
He does. We wouldn't waste our time praying if he didn't. How many of you would testify here right now, and, and no stretching it, but you can say, honestly, honestly, you have seen God work and answer prayer in your own life. How many? Okay. I'm telling you, there's a testimony right there that God is still actively answering the prayers of his children. So, you know, take advantage of that if you have a need, okay? And then on your way out, would you high-five somebody, give somebody a handshake, a hug, get to know somebody you don't know. God bless you. You are dismissed.